Raiders is a team that we don't care for. Something, something, With Lord Lattimore Volk, Jess Place, and Tim Lynch. Yes, my master. Get involved in the conversation at milehighreport.com. Hey, Broncos country. This is Lori Lattimore-Volkman from Mile High Report. At the beginning of the 2020 football season, I had a chance to Zoom with former Broncos safety TJ Ward just before he jetted off to Arizona to play with the Cardinals. Because I couldn't help myself, I basically forced him to reminisce about that magical Super Bowl run in 2015. And since this week is the five-year anniversary of that championship, there's really no better time to share that conversation with you. Chat with us and we'll reminisce about that magical season and enjoy when the Denver Broncos were amazing. And then stick around after the close where we get real about the racial equality issues in the NFL, Brandon Marshall's efforts as a Bronco that season to stand up to racial injustice, and the Black Lives Matter movement overall. Thanks for listening. Now let's talk some 2015 football. If we all want to have that, you know, 32 to nothing, 31 to nothing lead, it just hasn't been us. We've been in these games all season, though. All these type of grinded out games, close games, and uh, with the defense we had, we decided, you know, do what we could to protect the football. We got a pretty good shot of winning this game. Pressure here. They rush four. In the pocket is Newton. He pumps the ball. It's knocked out of his hands. It bounces around. Ball still is free. And I think Denver's got it. TJ Ward's got the ball at the Carolina five-yard line. All right. TJ, I couldn't dig my jersey out, but I got a picture of me in so, the jersey. I've see, seen it over in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I've got. Right? Yep. On Sundays, I do this thing where I either wear I wear like a defense one to start, and as long as it's going well, I keep it on. But if it's not, then I have to put the – I got to put my Peyton Manning jersey on yeah. for – try to get some Manning magic in there. How does it feel to, to have been part of – in my opinion, the best secondary that we've seen in, you know, in modern football. Oh, man. <laughs> it feels like the further I get away from it, the greater it becomes. No, really, honestly, because, you know, in the midst of being on that team, it was almost like playing backyard football, like being at home with your guys you grew up in the neighborhood with. That's how close we were. That's how well we played together. That's how we were relaxed we were everywhere, not just in the locker room, on the field, at, <laughs> at dinner, wherever we were. You know, this was our family, and, you know, this was us. And it didn't really even feel like we were going to work every day. It didn't feel like we had real <laughs> – I don't yeah. hate to say it like this, but, like, real obligations, you know. <laughs> it didn't feel like any pressure. We just went out there, we played, we had fun. And um, – that's what football is all about. When you get that back to those simple basics and you have fun and you're winning and you're doing everything that way, it becomes easy and time flies. And um, It very much seemed like you guys had amazing communication. To be able to play it so it felt like backyard football, get into a zone with your teammates, know where they are, know what their abilities are, 
know what what your expectations are. I, that takes some time, but you guys got to that level of, of chemistry in two years. My first year here was me, Lee, Chris, and Roby was a rookie. So Roby was there. And then when Stu came, we just kind of puzzle pieced him in and he fit, he fit right in. You know, Stu right. was our age. He got drafted the same year I did. Um, I knew Stu before he came and, uh, I knew what type of player he was, so I was excited to have him because I knew he was a hitter. And I was like, oh, yeah, Stu's going to come down and, and knock somebody out and so I don't have to – I don't have to be everything, you know. I don't have to be the hitter. I don't have to be the cover guy. I don't have to be the linebacker, you know. I was like, cool. So, man, it just fit, fit perfect. He had the same mentality we had. He was the same student in the game. Um, it was just a perfect fit. Yeah, it was a perfect year. I mean, I've been a Broncos fan my whole life. And so I, I love to look back on Super Bowl 32 when John Elway got our first win and all that. But 2015, just that defense was – you guys were so much fun to watch. And I, every now and then I'll go watch my NFL Films DVD where they break down you know, <laughs> every game and they, like, they do all yeah. the highlights of the whole season. And – I don't know if you've ever watched that, but you should because it is, yeah. it's like highlight of how every game that year, the defense came up with an amazing, just out of this world play that shouldn't have happened. We won, we had to have won nine games on a, a play at the end, like a crazy <laughs> interception in the, in the end zone, the scoop and score from Roby and DeMarcus Ware getting two sacks in a row. Like it just, yeah, I mean, wow. every game. As much fun as I had, you know, when the Broncos won Super Bowl 32, because it was the first one, and I look back on that very fondly, 2015, like, just nothing compares. So much fun. I think 2015 was amazing for a couple reasons, because it kind of caught everyone off guard. Like, we knew we had a good team, but really, we were supposed to go to Super Bowl the year before. Right. I know. Everybody was like, okay, we're going to Super Bowl this year, Peyton. It's still on. The offense is still going. We got these new defensive free agency. We're going to the Super Bowl. And we felt like that in the locker room. And that's why we didn't. Because we uh, – Because we you had a coach who took a knee. <laughs> <laughs> we thought we were going to run over the Colts because we had beat them earlier and they came here and they, and they kicked our butt um, on our home field. But I remember I had the mic in my helmet – that playoff game, I was playing middle linebacker because both, both our linebackers were up. Yeah, that was the first and the last. It was tough. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, man, look, this microphone and my helmet, I'm calling on the defenses. It was an experience. It was fun. It would have been even better if we won. But <laughs> the next year, I think it was just – Revenge. It wasn't even like a chip. It wasn't like people say, we got this chip on our shoulder from last year. We need to make up from last year. It wasn't even none of that. It was just more like – just gonna come out here and play. We had Danny, Danny Trey had came back. B. Marshall's healthy. We had a couple pieces that um, came back that weren't there from the year before, and you know we were just hungry. We were hungry. Yeah. We just wanted to play ball. What did it feel like in the Super Bowl? 2014 was you know Peyton was still on. 2015 Peyton wasn't on, but Peyton was still Peyton. But you're in the Super Bowl, and it was. I personally knew the minute Vaughn sacked Cam Newton, I'm like, this is over. What did it feel like being in the game? Did you have that same sense or was it like, just don't, don't think too much beyond 
this moment right now because we got to get four quarters in. I mean, we feel we were going to win the game like we won every other game. <laughs> Honestly, that's exactly how – like, we knew it was going to be a dog fight. We knew, like, we probably wouldn't put that many points up on offense. Like, let's be real. Uh, they had a great defense, too. So, it right. wasn't even just, you know – um, how the season went for us that year offensively. It was like, okay, they're coming in with a number one offense and the number two defense. Like, right. <laughs> they, they, this is a good team. So, but offensively, we knew that they couldn't mess with us. So, whatever the offenses did, we were like, okay, they can't, uh, they can't mess with us. There's nothing they can do that can beat us. So, as long as we get some points up on the board, we're going to be all right. So, that first drive when the offense went down and got three points, we were like, yeah. That's me. Insane. We say it was over, but we were like, that was nice and neat. It went right down the field. We didn't get a touchdown, but it's three points. If we could do that a few more times, score on defense, this game is over. Like, exactly. Because the score was going to come that next, the first time we got right on the field. I was like, also, oh, this game is really over. It was 10 minutes. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, there's no way. They're not scoring 10 points on us. I don't care. They better score on, de on defense because they're not scoring 10 points on offense. That's really how we were feeling. Yeah. You weren't on the team in 2013 when they, you know, went to the Super Bowl against Seattle. But, you know, having experienced that Super Bowl where the first play was a disaster and it went downhill from there, Mm -hmm. Just to have the offense, like you said, just march down and score. They're calm. They're ready for this. They can handle this. The, the moment's not too big. You know, Peyton's, Peyton's got this. There's, you know, like, this is going to be fine. <laughs> and the Listen. defense is going to take over, and we're definitely going to be fine. And that's what happened. Yeah, you hit it on the head earlier, though. Like, Peyton still found the magic in times that we need him. Like, all those games we won, you know, they were great because we won them on, like, defense technically because of the last big play, like a sack, strip, fumble, whatever, interception, fumble court. But Peyton always put us in position to win those games with those last offensive drives. We needed three points to go down with three minutes left, Peyton's going to get him. We needed six, Peyton's going to get it. He may not have scored all game, but when right. we needed him on that last drive, he's going to go get him for us, and then we just have to sit him. And um, that's perfect teamwork. It really was. It was such a good year. Manning is smart. I mean, his arm may not be as live as it once was, but he knows when to just get on the football and not try to make a heroic statement. One of the things Peyton did is he held onto the ball for a long time so the defense could rest. Even if we just scored three points, he'd lead a drive for 11 minutes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like... Really? We knew. We knew we needed that rest. And then we learned the next year when we'd go three and out ten times in a row that the defense can't do what it wants to do if it's on the field 40 minutes of the game. We got we got we won that game, that first game in, in Cincinnati. But, boy, that was an exhausting game. <laughs> we were in the locker room. We were exhausted. Static. We are happy first game on the road. Boy, but we were – You were wrecked. We were tired. It was hot, too. I have a funny story for you. So about you, you did the boss of the month. One of the bosses was Miles Taylor. We got to sit in your box and then I was interviewing Miles' parents, you know, during that, during halftime up there. So I'm up there with your mom and dad. I met your sister. That's the game that Peyton got benched after five interceptions. Oh, that's the game I got the personal foul. And you got ejected. <laughs> <laughs> Hey man, that was a that was a that was a game, man. It was frustrating. That was the first. Game. It so, was a lot going on. 
I know, but it is one of my favorite stories to tell because the best part is because everyone in the box was your family, they all left. And it was me and my sister and my two kids and the guys doing the food. And we're like, okay, this is great seats. <laughs> <laughs> I the sweets of myself. That was great. <laughs> that game was such, it, it broke my heart. I have this picture of Peyton Manning's. Five interceptions. He had four, but then – and Brock got one, so we had five in the game. But, I mean, it was just horrible. It was the game he got the record, but you could tell he was kind of ticked about that because, you know, they – he got a record for most yards, I think. Well, yeah, it was – actually, I just watched the end of that game. Um, it was – was it – yeah, it was yards. Or, no, completions. Um, yeah, right, right. And – and, you know, they've been talking about how they're going to stop the game to do something mm -hmm. on NFL, and Peyton didn't want them to. And, you know, it took a while to get it, which was a killer because he had some bad throws, and I think even had an interception well, maybe. In halftime, he was supposed to be there, like, early. <laughs> oh, it was just – and so I have this picture where he's standing off to the side while Brock is playing, and it's just – I was like – and I can only watch it now knowing the outcome, you know, knowing how the season goes down because if it – didn't go that way, it would just be something I could never watch again. <laughs> the AFC Championship where you beat Tom Brady and the yeah. Patriots. That was, is, that, is that even better than the Super Bowl, or is the Super Bowl still the penultimate? The Super Bowl is still the ultimate, but, I mean, it only the closest it gets to the Super Bowl is beating Tom Brady and the Patriots <laughs> in the AFC Championship at home. Like, as yeah. close as it gets to the Super Bowl is that um, – you know, we were coming into that game, and we knew, you know, we knew what was going on. This has been the AFC Championship yeah. for what, the last two or three years. Uh, this was a, this was wrecking. This was this is honestly, we were I was personally was more nervous for this game than the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this game was like, you know, you know, we this could go any way. Like, <laughs> we were confident. Don't get us wrong. We were confident, yeah. but it's still, you know, the Patriots. You know. Yeah, they are the Patriots. Right. Whatever you say about them, they're the Patriots. Tom Brady, Belichick. Yeah. No, I agree. Agree. Yeah. It was. Um, it was. I Especially was, the way the first game, you know, because the regular season game against them. That, you know, remember the snow, and that was, and Brock was the quarterback. The I got hurt again too, so I'm like, I got hurt in the regular season game under the pile, like in the first quarter. Me and Sly. Yeah. We were the pile together, we got hurt the same play. So I didn't play the regular season game really at all. So I was very excited and anxious to get back and play in this AFC championship game. So I had got back for the playoffs. So I played Pittsburgh and I played, I was playing in this game. So yeah. my ankle is still not a hundred percent, but I'm out there because this is going to Super Bowl. You know, I'm making plays. I got pass breakups and tackles, tackle for loss early. So we playing good on defense. We're playing, you know, decent on offense. It's a game, so we're in it. Yeah. And um, later in the game, I believe we may have been winning, and we had the momentum. Gronk wasn't doing anything. Brady had been sacked. Stu had picked him. Vaughn had sacked him. We beating him up. We, we like, we're beating him up. But Edelman comes and cheap shots me from the side, and I hurt my ankle again. <laughs> So I'm like, 
Come on, bro. Like, I know Edelman from, from the house. Like, we're both in the Bay Area. We've yeah. trained together during offseason. I consider him a friend, you know. So, it's just like, come on, Jules. Like, really? <laughs> like, really? You know, like, I feel like we weren't friends after that for a while. <laughs> I'm like, bro. So, uh, so we have a couple back ends because Stu goes out, too. And then Chris had to go down and play Dime, and Kayvon was playing nickel. So, when Grunk came in and they spread him out, Chris had to guard him. Chris hadn't been guarding. I had been guarding him all game. So switching like that, it put a it put a, a kink in our defense. Like, yeah. And they started to, you know, make some plays and move the ball, you know. And they came down to that last play where this type of communication only happens with groups like ours to where you're playing man coverage. Leib has one guy on the other side. Chris has one guy on the other side. They recognize the formation and the play type. Lead receiver goes behind the line, which is Edelman. So he lets him go. He looks over and sees Chris receiver running towards him. (laughs) He's falling, but he's not falling. But Chris and him relay that information, and they switch on the fly. Like, that doesn't happen. That's amazing. Chris makes the play, tackle for loss. Lead comes and cleans it up. You know, we're off the field, game pretty much over. Every game was as like good that. as yours. You can have five first-round picks at every position in your secondary. They won't make that play. It was a special, special group. And your defense gave me a heart attack every single game. Every single game. <laughs> <laughs> Us too. Us too. But the thing about that defense, we talk about it all the time, whether it's between me, where, you know, Von, Lee. We all talk about it amongst each other. It's like – we knew that one of us was going to make a play to win the game. Like, if it wasn't ourselves individually, we knew that one of our teammates were going to make a play yeah. to win the game. And that's a genuine feeling. And when you genuinely feel like, if I don't make a play, I don't know who's going to make it, but it's going to be made. <laughs> I don't know who's going to make the play, but the play is going to be made. I'm 100% sure of that. Uh, that's a great feeling. How did Wade Phillips contribute to that? Like his scheme or his, uh, you know, his attitude about kind of letting you guys be who you were? He was so cool. He would let us be us. He'd have fun with us. He um, asked for our input. He wasn't the coach that just say, this is what I have planned and this is what we're running. You know, he, you know, look at different ways we could do something. If you didn't like something because you, you felt it may leave you out to dry or maybe – opening for a certain play, then he's going to listen to you and be like, okay, well, let's change it or let's run it this way or maybe let's just throw this out completely. And right. he trusted us because we prepared that way. We prepared like coaches. You know, we wanted to come into the meetings on Monday and get the game plan and, ready, and already ready to implement to what they're doing. You now, a lot of teams come in on, on Monday or Tuesday or on Wednesday they get the game plan, then they got to go home and watch film and see how this game plan is going to work. Now, we already watched film. We come in and get the game plan, implemented in practice, knowing formations that's coming and things like that. So, Seeing the no-fly zone dissipate and players go different places and players retire, the bond was really obvious outside of just the football field. So, Yeah, it was strong. I mean, it's like... I don't know, when you see your favorite brand break up early. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the peak, it's like our peak was as hot 
we're on fire as any defense ever. Right. It's just so quick. You know, you have teams that have been together five, six years. You got Legion of Boone, they were together for a long time. All these defenses you think of, still Curtin, they had guys that were on that defense for a long time. It was just a great spark. We were hot. We got and red hot, and it was done. <laughs> Did everything we were, we were brought here to do, and um, can't be mad at that. It was just a perfect, perfect place, perfect time. <laughs> The Broncos' swarming defense put the Panthers in an unfamiliar position. And it wasn't long before they were bent out of shape. A slant, bobbled by Cotri, then recaught. It is an incomplete pass. Third down and ten. They're reeling a little bit, trying to get something done, and the Broncos' defense is fired up. In Denver, when it opens, what's the drink I have to get? My favorite is we have a drink called Tropical Loving, and it's pretty popular. It has pineapples, peaches, um, bananas, uh, some honey, and other all-natural ingredients. So my juice bar is it's all natural, um, all whole foods, no no concentrates. Nice. Um, the Jamba Juices, we're not the Smoothie Kings. We're not the <laughs> nice. So what's it called again? The Juicy. J-U-I-C-C-E-E. Oh. It's juice with two C's and two E's. Gotcha. I like it. Have part of your menu named after like some of the players from the 2015 defense. Or, or like you get something called Peyton Manning, everyone in Denver will go there to buy it. And then hey, uh, have the D wear and have the boss ward and have the no fly zone and it'd be perfect. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much, TJ. I really appreciate your time. Thank Send you. my best to your parents, please. I will. I sure will. You've been listening to Something Something Broncos, a feature of MileHighReport.com with Lori Lattimore Volk, Jess Place, and Tim Lynch. Get involved in the conversation at milehighreport.com. Since you were on the team when Brandon Marshall was part of, you know, kind of one of the early, early players to really, you know, take up a cause and use his platform for it and not get a, a whole lot of, league support you know he didn't, he didn't get the owners and the coaches to really buy in and got a lot of backlash from fans mm-hmm. um what, what are your thoughts about seeing it now do you feel like the nfl has evolved some has it been just because they feel pressured like they need to um i don't think <laughs> i'm gonna tell you this i don't think any 
thoughts or concerns about what's going on has changed outside of how it affects that um, entity <laughs> in your bottom line. <laughs> so, like you said, guys, about three years, two years ago, when this thing with Cap and it wasn't even Black Lives Matter at this point. Um, right. It was just police brutality and uh, kneeling or showing uh, signs of showing signs of support for you know whether it was for Cap or just for what was going on um, in society with the police and you know black citizens. Right. And. I don't know how the league felt at that time, but fans didn't like the position that a lot of players stood. So instead of the NFL and the team supporting those particular players, they sided with the fans because the right. fans were the seats. Right. Now, two years later, the opinion of society has ch changed a little bit. Um, that's everywhere. You can see in every corporation, every business, you know, they're speaking love, they're saying how they support, which is cool. I'm not saying that they didn't have a change of heart or they weren't understanding the situation that was going on, which I don't believe because <laughs> <I'm, laughs> we've been being treated like this by the police for hundreds, decades, centuries. Yeah. So for you to say that you were ignorant to it or you didn't understand it fully, I feel it's a little cop out. <laughs> but for some people, I can say that they genuinely didn't understand it. They may see it, but they don't understand it until you break it down. And I could really, I've had conversations with people where I've had this conversation and you could see like, the click in their eyes, like, wow, you really had to do this or you went through that or I didn't know, you know, that's cool. And I'm grateful that and I love people like that. And I'm, you know, thankful for them to even want to, you know, change their thinking and change their perspective and help out with the cause and do things like that. But for people to say that they were ignorant to it and you weren't, that's what I really don't agree with. Yeah. And, that's what my problem is. I love, I love the support. I love all the initiatives. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but if you were wrong, just say you were wrong and move <laughs> on. But don't try to say that you were ignorant to what the issues were. That's where I have my misunderstanding about the support. And as far as the players stepping up, I feel them 100% because – you definitely had to be a different kind of dude to step out at that time. Yeah. Marsh, the guys, Cap, um, there's a bunch of guys, Kenny Steele's across the league that, you know, made that stance two years ago and may not have been completely ostracized, but probably have been a little bit or, you know, had some bias thinking about them, which landed them either in free agency to this day or whatever their situation is. Who knows? Right, right. I mean – Clearly, the situation with Cap, the fact that he's not in the league and he's not on a team, is a product of that. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's, it's a popular thing to do right now. I, I mean, I just see guys 
I don't know. I can't knock anyone for pushing the cause or a movement. But I can say that it's more comfortable for them to do it now. Like these conversations we were having too, I mean, I even put it on Twitter, like guys and teams are taking practice off and doing this and that to have these same conversations we had two years ago. I mean, what is there else to talk about? <laughs> we got into, I mean, we were in the room and all the players and the owners and GM and everybody. And they were asking us questions and I just felt kind of, how can I put this? Kind of disrespected because you're asking me what the issue is as if you don't know. Right. And that's disrespectful. Yeah. Now, if you generally don't know, that's cool, but that's hard to believe. But you're asking a room full of 55 grown men what's going on and how can we help? But are you really trying to help? Mm -hmm. Right. And then if you kneel, we're going to punish exactly. you. <laughs> you want to help, but don't kneel. Like, I've had a sponsor out here in Denver. I won't be, say the company. <laughs> I did my after I did my my fist up. They came to me. I had a meeting with him, and he basically was asking me like not to kneel. Uh, this is basically if you kneel or take your money. Yada, yada. I was like, well, I did what I did, and if you want to take my money, then go ahead because yeah. <laughs> I make way more than you're giving me anyway. <laughs> but yeah, it's, not right. about, it's, it's about like I'm a grown man. You're not going to tell me what I can and cannot do. I just had a really interesting conversation with a former Bronco from the 60s, Abner Haynes, who was one, he wasn't a Bronco at the time, he was a chief in 1965, and he was one of the players to lead the boycott of the AFL All-Star game because it was in New Orleans, and New Orleans was treating them like crap. And he led players to just walk out and decide they're going to drive to Houston and go play the game the next week in Houston. And I asked him, you know, how do you how do you feel knowing that you're likely gonna lose your job? And he's like, I I couldn't do anything else. That that was my job. My job was to stand up and be a man and do what my family taught me, which was have dignity and pride in myself. And like it wasn't even an issue of whether he's gonna lose his job. It was like that's irrelevant. Like it's one thing to be consciously racist, like, okay, he's racist, he does it on purpose. He knows what he's doing on and off. I'd rather deal with that than someone that doesn't know they're racist and may know a little bit that some of the things they're doing is prejudice, but to the extent of their prejudice or racism, they don't even know they're doing it and they're just continually doing it and doing it. They don't even know that they're prioritizing a person of their skin color over the next. When they say systematic, it's systematic because it's unconscious. When something becomes unconscious in someone's mind that you don't even think about it, you don't even know it's there, and it's affecting another people negatively, that's a huge problem. It's just human nature, they're just doing it, you know? Until you get people who do racial things unconsciously to consciously not do them. Yeah. No, you have to, once you're unconscious of racism, <laughs> once you do anything unconscious, you know how hard it is to break that habit? So like, I bite my nails, I bit my nails for a long time. Unconsciously, just bite them. Until I consciously say, yo, I'm not biting my nail. <laughs> right. And right. I really had to think about that 
every time, uh, don't buy, uh, don't buy. And that's what, you know, a society has to do. When they say football is a direct representation of society, it's in every way is, positive and negative. But they only use it in the positive lights when people overcome things. Oh, yeah, this and that, and look how we're getting along, and look how things are so great. It's a direct reflection of society. But let's look at the negative side, because that's a direct reflection of society, too. I personally love to see players using their platform to talk about some of these things that a lot of us, a lot of society doesn't want to talk about. I just appreciate even more now what Brandon Marshall had, had to go through. I mean, just like Kat, but since Brandon was on our team, we saw it every week. I always say to people, you know, you go to, some, go to a game or go to anything where you stand up for the national anthem and think about whether you feel like kneeling right then and having all those people look at you and having a lot of people angry with you and taking the, the heat for that. Just, you know, like that takes a strong man, <laughs> you know, to decide to do that knowing the backlash you're going to get. What he and Kaepernick and Kenny Stills and, and all these guys, what they, when they decided to do that, they knew they were putting their job on the line. They're putting their, their endorsements on the line. They're putting their popularity with fans on the line. And that's tough. I hate to sound this way, but when Brandon and, and the rest of the players were, doing, were, were taking their stance, the movement hadn't been labeled yet. Yeah. So there wasn't no way to commercialize it. There wasn't no way to talk about what was going on uh, to the masses without having to dissect every little thing that was going on. Right now, you can just say Black Lives Matter. Right. And you have the whole movement and everything is entailed in that to where two years ago, it's like, oh, he's kneeling for social injustice. Okay, what injustice is? Police brutality. Okay, well, he's also, you had to talk about everything that he was kneeling about. Every little thing came up. People in society that continue to bring up all the other things like the kneeling or the flag disrespect, those, they don't want to know. Right. They want inequality. They do not want things to be equal. They have a problem with people that don't look like them. So those excuses are not misunderstandings those are where they stand and how they feel but they don't want to sound too blatantly racist or opposing to everyone's equality so they say you're attacking me so i'm gonna defend the flag um they want to play victim they want to make something you're doing attacking them so they can defend themselves when they really just want to attack you right but they can't do that because they'll be called out or they can't go to work, or <laughs> no, their regular lives will be affected, so they can't do that. But they can say, I'm defending the honor of the flag, or I'm defending the honor of the military. But, okay, did you know that there was inequality in the military as well, while black men were fighting for this country? But they don't care about that. They wanted you to fight for this country and not get any benefits. <laughs> they wanted that, you know what I'm saying? I do. People that say things like that, they want it. They want to be the majority. They want to be on top. Because if things become equal, somebody has to trickle down and people are trickling up. They don't want that. <laughs> That's it's true. Weird. It's facts. So anybody that continues to defend the flag with these issues of black men being killed and saying that all police aren't bad and this and that or finding any excuse or 
any reason for a man to be killed or shot in his back, I have, I'm, I don't even want to explain it to you. I'm done. Don't talk. <laughs> you know? Don't talk to me. Because yeah. you don't want to get it. And right. that's cool. You stay over there. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> one of your uh, post-NFL challenges should be being a preacher or something. You got you got some <laughs> servant, you got some sermons in you, TJ. <laughs> uh, no, I'm just I'm a very passionate person. Um, my parents taught me about whatever you do in life, man. Give it your hundred. Be passionate about it, and I I do a lot of debating away from like <laughs> interviews with friends and stuff. So I've had a little practice. I've gone back and forth with guys, and it's important for me to research and know what I'm talking about. I just don't talk. DJ, I couldn't dig my Akib Talib said that he was going to New England, and then he started looking at the tight ends, and he was like. Kelsey and Kittle and Wall. He's like, I don't think I can strap down on them. <laughs> and he just decided that he didn't have the competitive edge. But what were your thoughts hearing your former dog say, I don't know if I can get those tight ends? Uh, I thought I thought he was being funny because I know <laughs> he knows he could go out there and cover them dudes. <laughs> if you put Kelsey or any of those guys in front of the league right now, his competitive nature is going to spark up and, and he's going to go out there and cover them. So. Uh, it was a great laugh, though. <laughs> no, I have a story about that, too, because I, when I signed here, I had never been. And um, as you know, there's two ways to the airport from right. you know, 225 and you have 470. So I'm in the Uber and we're taking 470 and there's nothing like, you know, it's the back road. It's the, there's nothing out there but gold yeah. brass. Right. And this is five years ago, so now there's more. Back then, there was even less. Right. So I'm like, oh my God, what did I just commit to? There's literally nothing out here. And I'm coming <laughs> from Cleveland. I'm like, Cleveland has more city than this. It was like, this is absurd. There's, no, there's nothing here. <laughs> like, so we drive all over the facility, and I'm like, I meet Lee and D. Ware there. I'm like, yo, did you guys see any buildings? Because I didn't see any buildings here on the way here. Like, where's downtown? <laughs> like, I didn't see it either. So we we left. You know, me and Lee get back to the airport, and of course we take two twenty five. So I'm like, oh okay, this right, right. But Make sure they they drop you off at Lodo for a little while to to realize. All right, there's something going on here. I can, I can just drive through downtown. <laughs>